Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the letter of 1 John. 1 John, all the way, almost all the way to the back of the New Testament. Just before Jude and Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The letter of 1 John. And I have a question for you as you turn there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? A few years ago, the Washington Post published brief articles from leading religious leaders and scholars from academia in response to just that question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Among the responses, some of which were biblical, like those from Al Muller and Cal Thomas, names you may recognize, many were not in agreement with the Bible. One atheist believes that Jesus was a historical figure, take away all of the supernatural tales in the Gospels, and what you have is a complicated man, undoubtedly a charismatic speaker, whose ideas about how human beings ought to treat one another like those of his contemporary, Rabbi Hillel, provide a basis for a decent life and an ethical society. One Muslim states that Jesus was not God, but was a prophet among other prophets who was God's servant. A Jewish rabbi says about Jesus, I do not believe Jesus was the Son of God. As a Jew, I do not believe in the divinity of Jesus. I don't believe in much about him except that he was an extremely talented teacher in the Galilean tradition who probably developed a school of speech and a parable beyond what anyone else had achieved by that stage. Ask your neighbors, ask your co-workers, ask your schoolmates, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? And you will likely get varying responses, varying opinions. But what does the Bible say? That ought to be what we're asking. What does the Bible say? What does God say in the pages of Scripture? I hope you're holding a Bible in your hands this morning. I hope you bring your Bibles every time we meet together. I sent you to 1 John chapter 1. What does God say in the pages of Scriptures? I want you to look with me at 1 John chapter 1 and the first four verses. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? You can't afford to be confused about the answer to that question. Whether or not these individuals I quoted earlier, or whether or not your neighbors or your friends agree, you need to understand 
that the final authority for answering this question is the Bible. And not only does God's Word answer this question for you, but it goes even further, revealing something profound and truly foundational to your faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to see that today. But first, who do you say Jesus is? If somebody were to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus the Son of God? These are not new questions. In fact, Jesus himself asked questions like these. Uh, Go with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 16. Beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, where we hear Jesus asking not only what other people believed about him, but he also asked his disciples what they believed. He'd say, what do you believe? Look at verse 13, Matthew Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now Peter's reply, there in Matthew 16, Peter's reply to Jesus that He is the Son of the living God, that is foundational to the Christian faith. How you answer this question, how... How you answered this question, this very important question, who do you say Jesus is? How you answer that question is important for reasons we're going to see in a moment. But first, I want you to go back to 1 John, because John gives there an even more detailed explanation of who Jesus is. We'll learn how to answer this question from what John says. Back to 1 John chapter 1, who did John say Jesus is? And remember, John is writing at inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is moving John to write these words for our good, for the good of the church in all ages. Who did John say Jesus is? First note that John is proclaiming in these first four verses that Jesus Christ was God, revealed to mankind in human flesh, fully God, fully man. That's called the incarnation of Christ. When you hear somebody say the incarnation of Christ, that's what we're talking about. Jesus, fully God, fully man. God revealed in human flesh. But when John wrote this, not all people believed that. And obviously not all people believe that today. That's why it's important that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be clear on this question. And and that's why John wrote this. That's why God gave this to us at the at the pen of John. There were people in John's day who were claiming falsely that Jesus had not come in the flesh. They were teaching either that He was not human, that He only appeared to be human, or that He was not God in human flesh. Consequently, people were being led to believe that Jesus was not the revelation of God come in real living, breathing human flesh. 
which in turn led them to believe that Jesus was not able to save sinners by dying for their sins. If He's not a human, if He's not in human form, if He's not in human flesh, what, what good does His death do? John is confronting that false teaching. And he's doing so with this very clear proclamation that Jesus did indeed come in the flesh. So beginning in verses 1 and 2, John proclaims the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God in human flesh, no less. This is foundational to Christian faith. Jesus is fully God. The Bible declares that. That's what we see John declaring here. And there are four ways he makes clear the deity of Jesus Christ. First, he declares, look at verse 1 again, he declares Jesus to have been from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, when was the beginning? You don't know, and neither do I. (laughs) But we do know this. Jesus was there. Jesus was there. Jesus has existed from all eternity. In just a few words, John is stating that there was never a time when God the Son did not exist. And the testimony of Scripture agrees. Colossians 1.18 says of Jesus that He is the beginning. John 1.1 states that in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6, about Jesus Christ, He's declared to be the mighty God and everlasting Father. And in Jesus' own words, in His prayer seen in John 17, 5, He declares Himself to have been in God the Father's presence before the world existed. The second way John declares the deity of Jesus is when he describes Jesus as the word of life. That fits well with John's statement in John 1, verse 1, the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in John chapter 1 and verse 4, John declares that in him was life, meaning that all of creation exists because it finds life in Jesus Christ. The third way John declares the deity of Jesus is with the statement here in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. That statement, the eternal life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Not only does all life originate with and exist through Jesus Christ, but He is also eternal life. This is, again, the testimony of the Bible, as we hear in Jesus' own words in John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. It's clear, isn't it? Later in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John, uh, then John says here in 1 John, later in chapter 5, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He 
is the true God and eternal life. The fourth way John declares the deity of Jesus is by saying also in verse 2 that Jesus was with the Father. John says of this eternal life, Jesus Christ, that he was with the Father. And there's a similar reference which John makes in John 17, the Gospel of John, chapter 17 and verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the deity of Jesus can be seen very clearly in these facts that he was with the Father from before the creation of the world. And that's why John can say here in, well, in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 1, that the Word was with God. And and in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's how John makes clear here in 1 John, in these first four verses, pointing to Jesus, God in human flesh, the deity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. What about the humanity of Jesus? What about his humanity? It is also foundational to Christian faith that we understand this that Jesus Christ was fully man, that he lived and breathed and walked on this earth. And there are also four ways that, that John declares the humanity of Jesus in these verses. First, he declares the humanity of Jesus by testifying that he and others had heard him, had listened to him speak. We have the eyewitness account of John and many others. We see it here in, in verse 1. Go back to the verse 1 in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. We heard him speak. The disciples had actually listened to Jesus teach and talk. They had listened to him, and later they realized, they didn't always get it at the time, but later they realized they had been listening to God in human flesh. Second, John testifies to the humanity of Jesus by saying in verse 1 that they had seen him, they had heard him, and they had seen him, saying, we have seen him with our eyes, we looked upon him. They saw Jesus with their own eyes, and not just a glimpse, not just in passing, no, they gazed upon him. It says here that, that we have looked upon him. It's this longing gaze. They had looked upon him, not just in passing, watching Jesus intently. And when they did, later they realized they had been watching God in human flesh. Thirdly, John says in verse 1, we have touched him with our hands. So there was more going on here than just listening and watching. He could not have been an illusion. They were up close and personal. They and had been with Jesus. They had seen Him. They had heard Him. They had walked with Jesus. They had served alongside Him. And in so doing, they had come near Him and touched Him. And when they did, they had been touching God incarnate. 
And then the fourth way that John declares Christ's humanity is by testifying to it. We have seen, we've heard, we've touched. And in verse 2, he says, we testify to it and proclaim to you. They were eyewitnesses to the humanity of Jesus Christ. He was real. He was live, human flesh and blood. Jesus ate. Jesus breathed. He walked and talked. He shed tears. He got tired. He slept. He mourned. He celebrated. And John and others did what good eyewitnesses do and testified to the truth they witnessed. Just as those witnesses did spoken of in Acts chapter 10 and verse 41, speaking of Jesus' appearance after His resurrection, that He appeared not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. Praise God. You ought to be thankful for the testimony of Scriptures, for the witness of faithful Faithful servants of God who, carried along by the Spirit of God, penned these words for us to give us great confidence in, in our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is fully God and fully man. He was God made man in human flesh, come to earth to walk on this earth, to live a sinless life, to bear our punishment on the cross, to die a cruel death in our place, and then to rise from the dead. Praise God. So why did John proclaim Christ? Why is John telling us this? Why did John proclaim the deity and the humanity of Christ? Why is this so important? What's his purpose? For one thing, he's correcting false teaching. But there are two more important reasons I want you to think about this morning. The first reason he states in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. He says, So that others might have fellowship with them. Verse 3, through faith in Christ that they might have fellowship. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You need to understand that true fellowship is only possible for those who have something in common. And that something for believers is faith in belief in, trust in Jesus Christ. People who do not believe in Jesus Christ cannot have fellowship with Him or the Father. And when there's no fellowship with God the Son and God the Father, there's no fellowship with those who are God's children. What's so special about fellowship? You say, what's so special? So what? What's so special about fellowship? Why should fellowship be important to us? It's important because fellowship among believers in Jesus Christ goes far beyond merely meeting together for coffee. That can be fellowship. But real fellowship for the believer in Jesus Christ means that when we meet with one another, however we meet, whether it's for a meal or whether it's for a prayer or for worship, we speak to one another the words of truth that make our true fellowship possible. We speak of the things of the Lord. We speak of His Word. We carry the truths of Scriptures with us. We proclaim them to one another. We encourage each other with them. We even 
graciously correct one another when necessary. We use the Word of God and the work of the Lord to encourage one another, to build each other up, and to challenge each other to obey the commands of God. For instance, just one example. When was the last time you were with another believer and one of you was complaining about your circumstances and the other believer encouraged the complaining believer with the word of truth, with, with truth that, that God's, God's there for you. He hears you. He knows your difficulty. He knows your pain. And don't forget the providential hand of God. Don't forget that God is there to help you with this and, and to bring you through this on the other side. When was the last time you were encouraged or you gave encouragement to keep trusting Jesus? That you were just there with another believer to, to hear them and then to pray with them and to encourage them that you were praying for them and that you were there to be an encouragement to them and a help to them in their times of difficulty. When was the last time you did that? That's true Christian fellowship. That's just one example. We cannot have that if our faith isn't fixed on Jesus, believing in Him, confident that He is the one true God. Being a follower of God, being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is intended by God to be a shared experience. That's why we're here in this room together. Because we, I trust, we long to be the church that God intends for us to be and we long to be an encouragement to each other and to help one another. The second reason John had for making clear the complete deity and complete humanity of Jesus is what we see in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wanted their joy, all believers in Jesus Christ, and God wants our joy to be complete. He wants us to know full joy Full contentment in Him, even this side of heaven where we're living in a world that often breeds discontentment and would tempt us to be discontent. God wants us to know full joy and contentment and peace. But how does the full deity and humanity of Jesus bring complete joy? It's for believers in Jesus Christ. True joy, complete joy, is only possible for people who believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to be the sacrifice for sinners and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for our justification and that Jesus Christ gives eternal life to all who believe in Him, there's no real joy otherwise. Without Jesus, this life is all we have. We think this is all we have. That We're trapped in this cycle of, I guess I need more. And, and that more doesn't just do it for us. It leaves us feeling maybe even more empty than we were before. And so maybe there's more and we pursue more. This side of heaven, there is no joy, no complete contentment apart from faith in Jesus Christ and knowing that Jesus is God in human flesh who came to pay the penalty for our sins and saves us through faith in Him and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and has gone to prepare a place for us for all eternity. John's challenge to us all is this. Trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Trust in Jesus Christ. 
Believe the factual evidence testified to by John and many others that Jesus is fully God, fully man, and that Jesus is the only way, the only acceptable sacrifice for your sins. And believe that Jesus saves you from the penalty of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Trust Him. And then have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Enjoy fellowship with Him as you read His Word, as you take steps to obey, as you go to Him in prayer asking for His will to be done, as you go about your day. Fellowship with God and the Son. But don't stop there. John says, Jesus Christ is the life that was made known And he says, we proclaim also to you so that you too, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That tells me that this good news of Jesus Christ is to be a shared message. It is not a message we are to keep to ourselves The message that Jesus is eternal life for all who believe in Him is not a message to keep quiet about. It's not a message to keep to yourself. If you have true fellowship with God, then you're going to want to make Him known to people around you. And I would suggest that if you have true fellowship with God, your life will give you opportunities to use your lips to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of people who need to hear the truth. You won't be able to help yourself. Your life will draw people to ask what it is you have. That is as as God intends it. If you have true fellowship with God, then you will want to make Him known to the people around you. But you begin doing that by acknowledging who Jesus is. And then you seek to make every day that God gives you a day that's lived for His glory, with His help, with the wisdom of His Word, so that others might know the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in Him and be saved. That is what God is calling us to as a church. That's that's God's plan. And that's why He tarries. That's why He is being patient so that His people will live in this world here and now waiting for eternal joy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we live here now with this truth dwelling in us, growing up in us, growing us up in Christ so that we might declare the truth with our lives and with our lips making it clear the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the God-man come in human flesh, living the sinless life, going to the cross for our sins, suffering the cruel death we deserve because we are sinners in need of a Savior, and then rising from the dead to be at the Father's right hand, to prepare a place for us, and sending His Holy Spirit to indwell believers in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Let's never forget it. 
Let's never forget it. Let's never get used to this and, and to just be content just going with the flow. Let's take these truths of Scripture and let them change us and encourage us and strengthen us once again. I trust many of you have heard these truths before. I'm here to be a reminder to you today of these wonderful truths of Scripture. Let's never forget them. Let's let, never let go of them. And may we live every day that God gives us for His glory. And we'll know true fellowship with God and His Son. And we'll know true joy. And that will lead to our fellowship as the body of Christ, the church, being complete. We will know joy together. We will know true fellowship together. What a privilege is ours.